Turn to Isaiah chapter 16, Isaiah chapter 16 this morning, uh, continuing our uh, study through the book of Isaiah. Uh, recall, please, uh, back in chapter 15, we began looking at the, quote, the burden uh, of Moab. This is the Lord's prophecy uh, against uh, Moab uh, and the Moabites uh, as uh, enemies uh, of God's people. Now, you recall last week I uh, gave you a map uh, which shows where Moab is relative to Israel and Judah. Uh, if you didn't get one of those, there are some. Uh, Zach, go, grab, grab a map for Candy, please. She needs a map. Uh, I think there's at least two uh, back there. We're going to make sure you have a map, sister. Um, thank you, Zachary. Uh, so we'll see here this morning um, more uh, of the Lord's prophecy against Moab, uh, the enemies of Israel. So uh, we saw here Moab just to the east of uh, the Dead Sea. Um, uh, we covered last week quickly, we looked at the origin uh, of Moab. We recall this is a, a people group that is descended from Moab. Uh, and do you recall uh, who, who Moab is, uh, his origin? Rich, you, have, you, you remember that? Yeah, so it was Lot and his daughters and that sort of drunken, incestuous relationship. Nothing good about that, right? And uh, they, uh, they claimed to have some good intentions, and, and the daughters, and uh, perhaps they did, but their, their uh, approach to addressing their concern was certainly not uh, the approach that uh, uh, they would have they found in the Lord. So we, we looked at that quickly. Uh, what I want to do this morning is we'll, we'll just jump in here at I, Isaiah 16, verse 1. Now, remember, please, we're, we're studying through this book, which is a book of prophecy. Uh, it's a book that um, brings in a lot of biblical history as well, uh, particularly as we look at the fulfillment of, of prophecy. Brother Ray, remember, please, this morning, we, we don't just want to know what these chapters say. Uh, we're looking for principles that we can take from God's words uh, and apply them even in our lives today. So uh, please be reminded that we're, we've, you know, in the recent weeks, we've, we've looked at a few things. Uh, the idea that God deals with his enemies. Uh, the idea that when God says he's going to do something, he does it. Uh, even though at times it, it might be quite a few years later, we ought not to be discouraged by that. Uh, this morning, uh, toward the end of the chapter, we'll see the people of Moab uh, fleeing to their false gods, Kamosh, uh, for help, uh, evidently, as they're dealing with the Lord's judgment upon them, the Assyrians overwhelm them. Uh, so we see that sort of natural tendency of people to, to look for help somewhere other than the Lord, uh, e even in idolatry. And Rich, of course, we, we know that's futile. So there's, there's no, it just doesn't make any sense to seek help anywhere other than uh, in the Lord. So we'll see these ideas together with some other things. Excuse me here this morning. I don't think I prayed yet. We better do that. Let's pray. We'll jump in. Father, we do thank you this morning for your words. Lord, as we study through the book of Isaiah, we understand it, it can be difficult at times, and yet we can wrestle through it and, and compare Scripture with Scripture. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who aids our understanding. Lord, I thank you this morning that um, even now, even in 2022, uh, many, many hundreds and, and hundreds of years later, we can uh, understand your words and, and draw out 
practical principles that will help us, that will uh, help us to lead sanctified lives that you desire today. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we'd continue to make it our goal to, to seek those things and uh, to yield to you and to find your help to uh, implement those principles in our lives today for your honor and for your glory. Lord, help me now. I need that. I thank you for it. pray that you help each of us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look here, Isaiah 16, verse 1. Isaiah 16, verse 1. Uh, Moab here is being exhorted by uh, the Lord uh, through Isaiah uh, to uh, divert the tribute that they had been sending up north to, uh, to Samaria or Israel and to uh, send that back down to uh, Jerusalem, to Judah. We'll read the verse, talk about that for a second. Verse uh, 1, Isaiah 16, verse 1. Uh, the Lord commands through Isaiah to Moab, we know that from the context established by chapter 15, uh, send ye, it's the language of a command, uh, all you Moabites, uh, send ye the lamb, uh, the tribute that they had been sending elsewhere, uh, to, the ruler of, uh, to the ruler of the land from, uh, from Selah to the wilderness unto the Mount of the Daughter of Zion. So, Zach, this place, the Mount of the Daughter of Zion, wh where might that be? That, that, Gary, do you have a thought? I asked him, but I'm... Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah, this would be Jerusalem. That's what Zach was going to say. Uh, your brother jumped in there. Uh, I invited him to. Right, so uh, evidently uh, the Moabites have been sending tribute in the form of lambs uh, elsewhere, and the Lord says, listen, you, you, need to, you need to turn your attention uh, to, from, from there uh, to Jerusalem. And Gary, that's a, that's a literal command, but I think there's some poetry in that command. There's, there's probably the idea of submitting not just to uh, the king of Judah, uh, but also to the king of the king of Judah. <laughs> the Lord is, is probably the idea here. You can make a note, um, a cross-reference, 2 Kings 3 and verse 4. Uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually on Wednesday night. 2 Kings 3 and verse 4. Uh, we see there that, uh, why don't you turn there real fast, actually. Just turn there. 2 Kings, should have had you go there before, forgive me. 2 Kings 3 and verse 4 just kind of puts this verse in historical context. Uh, here in 2 Kings uh, 3 and verse 4, we see that the king of Moab had been sending uh, tribute, uh, paying tribute in the form of animals uh, to uh, Ahab, king of Israel. Uh, so 2 Kings 3 verse 4 um, it says this, Mesha, uh, Mesha, the king of Moab, was a sheep master uh, and rendered unto the king of Israel, let's be Ahab at the time, and 100,000 lambs, that's a lot of lambs, uh, and 100,000 rams with the wool. Uh, and so this, this is the context here. They evidently had been uh, paying tribute uh, to Ahab, uh, likely for protection, likely uh, as a form of building an alliance uh, with him. Uh, Zach, how many good kings were there up in the north historically? How many? Say it again. None. <laughs> and how many in the south? Well, some. Some in the south. North, none. South, some. Uh, right. Ahab was a wicked king. Uh, really not, not, not a king who lived uh, in obedience to the Lord. We, we know that, certainly. 
Uh, and so the Lord says, listen, you, you need to turn your attention to, uh, to the south and to the God of the king and the people of the south. Uh, this would seem to be the idea here. Give you just a little bit more uh, background here in verse 1. The command is, send ye, uh, hey, king of Moab, uh, and all the people of Moab, send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land uh, from Selah to the wilderness unto, well, we know this is Jerusalem, uh, Selah, uh, it's different than that word that we see in Hebrew, uh, forgive me, uh, the Hebrew word that we see in Psalms. Uh, what's, what's that word that we see uh, sort of uh, interspersed throughout some of the verses in Psalms. Is it this word or is it it's a little bit different? It's a little bit different because it has an H on the end, right? That's, that's Selah with an H on the end, which seems to have the idea of stopping, pausing, meditating upon what you've read, consider that, uh, maybe ask God to apply that to your heart, to your walk with him. Uh, this is a different word. It's, it doesn't have the H on the end. Uh, this word it has a literal idea of rock, and in Judges 1, uh, end, of that, end of Judges 1, it, it is clearly being used at, uh, as a reference to a place uh, in uh, Moab. Uh, it's called rock. It's translated rock there. So this, this place is called uh, rock elsewhere in Scripture. It's, it's transliterated here. It's translated elsewhere. Uh, this is probably, I can't be 100% sure, but this is probably the ancient city of Petra. And you have almost definitely seen pictures uh, from the excavation of, of, of Petra. This is that place where these very ornate, um, very, very tall edifices are carved into the side of these rock structures or, or rocky hills. Uh, you've probably seen those somewhere along the way. So. Uh, the command is to stop sending uh, the tribute lambs uh, to uh, this other ungodly king uh, and, and to his god. Uh, you're sending them from Selah, this place in Moab. Uh, send them instead to the righteous king of Judah uh, and to his god would seem to be the idea here. Uh, it's a warning to stop giving to the ungodly and to align themselves with the godly uh, of the South. Gary, I think there's, there's probably a principle here of separation that comes into view, right? Hey, separate yourself from these ungodly people in the North uh, and, and draw close to these godly people uh, in the South. And of course, we, we understand that's a New Testament biblical principle that the Lord calls us to. Separate from those who are in great doctrinal error error. Uh, don't, don't try to reform them. God never says that. He says separate from them uh, and, and, and draw close to assemble yourself with uh, those who, um, who have good doctrine. And so uh, understand, we understand today that uh, certainly is applied in, in terms of the churches that we join. Uh, it's, it's, it can be applied in terms of the friendships that we form and those with whom we fellowship uh, and so forth. So this would seem to be the idea here. Now, verse 2 uh, now brings into view uh, the, the judgment. So remember, verses 15 and 16 are, are God pronouncing, prophesying, promising uh, judgment on these wicked uh, Moabites, the enemies of, of God's people. And it's kind of poetic in verse 2. Uh, Isaiah says, For it shall be 
that as a wandering bird cast out of the net, uh, so shall the daughters of Moab be uh, at the fords of Arnon. So uh, they're pictured as a people who are caught in a net and then, and then cast out. Uh, that doesn't sound good. They're, they're, they're somehow uh, caught up and, and, and then released as captives. Uh, Isaiah says, so shall the daughters or the people of Moab be, uh, and then this, this phrase, at the fords of Arnon. Uh, I don't know if you recall, we've looked at this word fords before. Uh, Arnon is a river. This, this might be a, a clue. Uh, Arnon is a river at the southern boundary of the territory between Israel uh, and Moab, which would be modern Jordan today. Uh, so it's the Arnon River. Do you remember what the fords are with relative to a river? Uh, it's, it's a word that refers to a, a shallow place in a river uh, where the river could be crossed is, is the idea. Uh, it's a very shallow point in a river where, where the river could be crossed. Uh, the Jordan's very shallow in, in lots of places. Maybe even the majority of it uh, is shallow enough to cross. But um, the Arnon River evidently would not be that shallow everywhere, at least not always. And so the people are pictured here at the fords, the shallow places where one could cross the river, uh, perhaps fleeing out of Moab uh, into uh, in, into uh, Judah. Why might that be the case? Why are, why are they being pictured here? Well, clearly, uh, the idea is they're, they're fleeing some enemy. There's, there's an enemy that's trying to capture them uh, like birds in a net. And uh, the idea here is, is they're, being, uh, they're being pursued and, uh, or perhaps they've been caught and they've been released for a time and they're fleeing from this enemy uh, at this place where they cross the river out of, of Moab into uh, the land. This, this would seem to be uh, the idea. Now, verse 3 is a little bit tricky. It could be understand, understood. There we go. Understood a couple of different ways. It might be the Lord's counsel to Moab, or it might be a request from Moab to Judah, hey, hide us. I think the latter is probably the case. So, uh, they're, they're being pictured in verse 2 as a people who are, who are being captured and a people who are being pursued. And, and as a people who are trying to get out of Moab, crossing the Arnon River uh, at the fords, those shallow places. Uh, and I, I think verse 3 is, is probably a request from the people of Moab to the people in Judah. Hey, take us in, uh, rescue us, protect us from, from those that are coming after us. Verse three says, take counsel, uh, execute judgment, make thy shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday, hide the outcasts. Uh, hide us is probably the idea. Hey, Judah, people of Judah, hide us uh, from, from, from those that are, that are coming after us. Um, be, be re- Let me try that again. Beray, uh, not him that wandereth. Uh, that word B-E-W-R-A-Y uh, has the idea of, of revealing, uh, could have an opposite idea uh, in, in some uh, context. Uh, hide not thy outcast, reveal not him that wandereth. Uh, probably has the idea uh, of, of let us in, uh, let us in and give us shelter uh, and, and protect us from those who are, who are coming after us. Now, we know in history, it's the Assyrians. Uh, if you have your map there, the Assyrians would be way up north near the top right, the northeast uh, portion of, of your map. 
Uh, we know the Lord used the Assyrians to uh, conquer, to put down the Moabites, and, and that did happen. Secular history uh, records that very, very nicely for us. Uh, so we know this, this ultimately will be fulfilled, evidently, by the Assyrians according to uh, God's will. Now, uh, the next couple of verses um, um, are a little bit tricky in, in that they don't seem to fit the context um, of, of, of Moab at that time of judgment in history. Rather, they seem to look ahead, as we've seen uh, in recent chapters and other similar uh, chapters where the Lord is pronouncing this woe or judgment uh, upon the enemies of his people. There, there seems to be sort of an alternating between uh, literal judgment being prophesied on those people at a point in history which would be passed to us, sort of interspersed with allusions to uh, the judgment of all of God's enemies in, 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 in the future. Uh, so verses, verse 3 seems to look ahead to the tribulation uh, where God will deal with his enemies. And certainly at the end of the tribulation, uh, we recall he'll, he'll put down all of his enemies when Christ returns uh, at, at Armageddon. Uh, and then in that context, verse 5 seems to look ahead to the millennium, uh, which follows the tribulation. We understand that. Uh, and then the Lord kind of brings it back once again in verses 6, 7, and 8. Uh, to dealing with, with Moab. Now, uh, we've talked about why God might, might use this kind of structure or construction in these passages before, but let's just be reminded again, the idea probably uh, is to in encourage the Jewish people that, hey, you have these enemies today, uh, but I'm going to deal with them. And then as God dealt with them, as he had promised, as he had prophesied, their faith in the Lord's promises to them uh, would be encouraged uh, as they saw that happening. Uh, and as their faith was encouraged, as they saw the fulfillment of these prophecies, uh, their, their faith in those things future uh, would be encouraged as well. And Gary, I've encouraged us to be encouraged by the same thing. God prophesied that Moab would be put down. They have been put down. Uh, the Assyrians did accomplish that according to God's will. Uh, as we look at that in, in history and see God said and God did, well, we can be encouraged that what God has said about the tribulation and the millennium, although he's not yet accomplished it, he will. What he's accomplished in the past should encourage us that he will accomplish uh, his plan in the future. And so just be reminded that that may be the reason why we see allusions to the tribulation and the millennium sort of interspersed uh, into these, these passages. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Uh, most commentators see verse 4 as an allusion to the uh, tribulation. Dr. Sorensen, who's preached here, sees that. Uh, Dr. Strauss, Dr. Unger, uh, Merrill Unger, don't agree with him on everything, but agree with him on a lot, uh, sees it this way. Uh, by the way, just because men see things a certain way doesn't, seem it, doesn't make it right necessarily, Gary, but there's, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see that you know, a variety of decently like-minded people understand something similarly. Uh, so here's verse 4. Um, Isaiah says this, Let mine outcasts dwell with thee, Moab. Let mine outcasts dwell with thee, Moab. Now that's a little bit different. Uh, in the previous verse, it was, Moab fleeing from its enemies, knocking on the door of Judah, let us in and hide us. Uh, now, Isaiah says, 
to Moab, let mine outcasts dwell with thee, Moab. Uh, let people of Judah and Israel find refuge in the land of Moab. Be thou a convert to them from the face of the spoiler. For the extortioner uh, is at an end, the spoiler ceases, the oppressors are consumed at, out of the land. And so uh, the fact the Lord is now speaking through Isaiah to Moab, uh, petitioning them to receive his uh, people out of the land, uh, may very well allude to the, a time of great difficulty in the tribulation uh, when the people will be fleeing from uh, the Antichrist and, 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 and his, his wrath uh, against those who have come to Christ, tribulation saints, Jews that have come to Christ during the tribulation. Uh, remember, Jesus told them to flee into the wilderness. Uh, and so this, this might be in that specific context uh, it would be the idea. Um, now, verse 5 uh, looks ahead to more positive days, uh, we, we think, to the uh, millennium that follows the tribulation. So uh, people will be fleeing uh, all, all of the wrath of, of the Antichrist in verse 4. Uh, and then we understand the Lord will come. We'll look at this more uh, in the 11 o'clock hour, uh, that in the context of Matthew 24, 25. Um, the Lord will come at the end of the tribulation, put down his enemies, usher in his millennium. Verse 5 would seem to be that, the, the millennium. Verse 5, and in mercy, and in mercy shall the throne be established. Well, what throne? Well, the, the throne that's described in the balance of the verse, he shall sit upon it in truth. Got to ask yourself, who's the he here? Uh, who's the he? If we're understanding this correctly, uh, if, if verse 4 is an allusion to the tribulation, verse 5 is an allusion to uh, the millennium, well, the he is certainly going to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and certainly in mercy, he shall, uh, his throne shall be established. Uh, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall sit on his throne uh, in the, uh, forgive me, in the millennium, uh, in truth, uh, in the tabernacle of, of David, uh, we know that there will be a new millennial temple, uh, which could be called or alluded to as Tabernacle of David, uh, judging and seeking judgment and hasting uh, righteousness. Uh, Dr. Sorensen has good thought here, and I just want to share it with you, just a quote from his commentary. Uh, he says, though some have sought to assign this to the time of Hezekiah, there seems to be one far greater than Hezekiah in view here. Uh, though Hezekiah was a godly king, the one who establishes the throne in mercy, seeking judgment and hasting righteousness, is an accurate description of the Prince of Peace. Zach, who's that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think, I think this is uh, almost definitely the case. Could this be an allusion to Hezekiah's reforms and his very righteous rule? I suppose it could be. If we get to heaven, the Lord says, yep, that's what I meant. We'll say, yes, Lord. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. And I think Dr. Sorensen is probably right about this. Um, assuming, assuming that is the case, and, and I really do believe it is the case, uh, you can look at verse 5 and, and be very encouraged by it. Uh, Christ will rule uh, and reign, and, and, and we with him, we, as church-age saints, we understand that. Uh, and then you, you have different aspects or characteristics of his rule and his reign uh, in the millennium. 
Uh, he'll reign uh, and rule in truth. Uh, what does it mean to rule or reign in truth? Zach, do you have any thoughts about that? He'll rule according to a, a standard of truth to, well, period. And that standard of truth would be what? The word of truth. Thank you. Uh, the word of God, which is it's objectively true. Uh, praise God that we understand the Bible reveals a truth that is objective, uh, that does not change with the culture. It's not fluid. Uh, the world today, the postmodern ideas of, of, of this world would have us to believe that, that truth is, uh, it changes over time, and you could pick a truth or invent your own truth that fits the culture and the time. No, the Bible, Bible truth does not change. It is not fluid. Jesus will rule in the millennium for a thousand years uh, in truth according to the objective standard uh, of the truth of his word. Do we have leaders ruling that way today, Brother Richard? Uh, we don't really have civil leaders, not many at least, ruling that way today, right? Not many in history, and that's, that's, that could be discouraging or frustrating, but make those frustrations prayer requests. We're called to pray for our leaders and, and be hopeful. Remember, we have the certain hope of a perfect leader, a perfect ruler who will rule uh, according to truth. Um, in Psalm 86 and verse 15, maybe write down that reference, Psalm 86 and verse uh, 15, the psalmist is, is crying out to the Lord prayerfully, but thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Well, praise God. That, that's who our Savior is. I'll give you one more verse because it's just so good. Verse, sorry, Psalm 108 and verse 4, uh, the psalmist says to the Lord, for thy mercy is great above the heavens and thy truth reacheth unto the clouds. His truth reaching uh, to the clouds is probably a picture of what, guys? Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, his truth reaching to the clouds. It could be never-ending. It could be the, the enormity of it, uh, the fact that his truth will, will fill his creation. Uh, all, all of that, right, is uh, as he uh, dwells uh, on the earth, his truth will fill the earth. Uh, and, uh, boy, you get excited about that, amen? That's what we have to look forward to. Um, he will rule, verse 5, judging uh, and seeking judgment. Uh, we know that today leaders, civil leaders, uh, are called to uh, execute justice. Uh, really the, the primary um, purpose for civil government today biblically uh, is to reward the righteous, but perhaps more so to deal with the evildoers uh, and to do that in a way that is just. Uh, to a way that is just. We understand today there's all kinds of challenges. We, uh, we see government abdicating its responsibility to, de to deal with evildoers. By the way, that is a major reason why there is such a huge increase in crime right now. Amen? Go Church, government is, is abdicating its responsibility to deal with evildoers. Um, and, and so in that context, you can just, you can count on it. You, you can count on there being dramatically more crime. Now, I understand government has not always done its job um, with, with justice and mercy. That's a problem. 
that's a problem, certainly. But we, we, we despite our, our frustrations about all this, we, we, we have the, the hope uh, of a time when the Lord will rule in truth, uh, in mercy, uh, and justice. Uh, a perfect leader, a perfect judge, a perfectly just Savior ruling and reigning over the entire world. And then at the end of verse 5, uh, he's, he's pictured as hasting uh, righteousness, one who is uh, encouraging righteous living um, uh, throughout uh, all the world. Uh, Zach, I, I know that we'll not have a sin nature at that time. We'll not need to be um, encouraged to act righteously during the millennium. But we understand that, that children will be born during the millennium. Uh, to those who were saved in the tribulation and then who just walked into the millennium, didn't go to heaven first like, like, like we will. Um, and so they'll need to be saved and they'll need to be encouraged uh, in righteousness. The Lord will be hasting uh, their righteousness. That, that might be the idea there. Um, but he'll, he'll be a, a perfect leader, a perfect ruler, one that will accomplish his purposes according to truth and justice and righteousness and mercy. We have all of that to look forward to. Pray for leaders today. Don't complain about them. Pray for them. Uh, that's, that's, that's the Lord's command today. But be encouraged that we have much to look forward to. So verses 4 and 5 are um, almost certainly allusions to the tribulation and millennium that follows. Um, with uh, the Lord's intention being that his people would be encouraged uh, as they see him dealing with their enemies uh, in the near term, uh, they can be encouraged that these farther term future prophecies are just as certain to be uh, fulfilled and, and we should be similarly uh, encouraged. We'll go a little bit further here. Uh, verses 6, 7, and 8 return to the burden of Moab, the Lord's judgment on Moab, literally in history, um, Lord gives a reason, uh, sort of the spiritual cause that underlies the wickedness uh, of the people of Moab, sort of the, the spiritual root, the primary sin problem that has caused the people of Moab to be as wicked uh, as, as they have been. Uh, and, and here it is, no, uh, probably no surprise here, because this is probably the, the spiritual problem that's at the root of, of virtually all wickedness. Verse 6, uh, Isaiah writes, we have heard of the what? What's the P word? What is it in verse 6? Pride. We've heard of the pride of Moab. Uh, he's very proud. Well, the he here is, is added by translators, and uh, it, it sort of poetically, I think, the uh, sort of the... Uh, a, a plural, he is very proud. Moab and all the people are, they're not just prideful, they're very proud, uh, even of his haughtiness. Haughtiness is kind of a synonym for pride, a haughty, lifted up, prideful, uh, even of his haughtiness and his pride. So uh, four times now we have uh, this sort of quadruple underscoring that pride is at the root of the sin of the people of Moab. Uh, and in his wrath, uh, but his lies shall not, not so be. Uh, the, the, the sin of, of this nation and its people, Moab, uh, pride is at the root. Zach, we've talked about this so much. 
uh, pride is really the, the thing that seemed to have uh, encouraged the revolt or rebellion of Satan. Uh, it's, it's the thing that uh, almost always encourages people today uh, to revolt, to rebel against the Lord. Uh, really stop and think about it. The choice to sin necessarily, Brother Ray, involves a prideful decision to exalt myself over my Savior, to, uh, to exalt, to prioritize my will over God's will. Pride is at the root of all of this. And so we do well, don't we, to pray constantly, Lord, keep me humble. Lord, humble me. Lord, keep my pride in check. God, and, and we preach this all the time, right? God, God help me uh, to stay humble. Lord, humble me when I need to be humble. Uh, God, please knock down my pride. Help me to put off pride, to put on humility uh, in its place. We're familiar with many verses, Proverbs 16, 18. Uh, pride goeth before destruction, uh, and a haughty, there's that word again, spirit before a fall. Haughty, haughtiness is, is pridefulness. Uh, pride has consequences, practical consequences and spiritual consequences, uh, certainly. Verse, verse 7 and 8 picture the Lord's judgment of Moab for their pridefulness that led them into so much sin against the Lord uh, and his people. Verse 7, therefore shall, Mo shall Moab howl for Moab. The people will lament the, the suffering of, of other Moabites as, as the Lord deals with them. Everyone shall howl uh, for the foundations of Kir uh, Haresheth, uh, a place there. Uh, it's an ancient capital of Moab. Uh, shall ye mourn? Uh, surely uh, they are stricken. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but let me mention it now. Uh, Jeremiah 48, you don't need to go there, but maybe just make a note. Uh, Jeremiah 48 is in a sense a parallel passage to Isaiah 15 and 16 uh, in that Jeremiah prophesies against Moab as well. Uh, Zach, a, a, a prophet of, of the um, people were carried away, can't think of the word, what am I trying to say? When people were carried away, Jeremiah was prophesying to them and encouraging them that God would deal with their enemies as he has dealt with them. Uh, Jeremiah 48 is a, is a parallel passage, and he uh, specifically mentions this same place. Uh, God will deal with the people of Moab, and that their capital will be humbled by the Lord. Um, praise God. Praise God. He, he humbles uh, his enemies, uh, as he has done and is doing and, and will do. Um, um, in the future. Verse 8, uh, for the fields of, of Heshbon language, another place within Moab, uh, and the vine of Sibma, uh, the vine of Sib Sibma. This is very interesting. Um, in the Bible, the vine almost always refers to what fruit? Grapes, and, and from grapes you can make non-alcoholic grape juice or alcoholic wine, and uh, we know that Moab was conceived in a drunken, sinful situation. And so uh, it's very interesting that the Lord, uh, a couple of places, seems to be uh, prophesying that he will deal with them uh, and, and their vineyards, uh, and the source of their drunkenness. Uh, it, it's likely that their drunkenness continued. Um, through time, and, and, and that was part of the root of their sin as well. But God's going to deal with that. 
uh, God's going to deal with them for that. It's probably the idea that's pictured here, uh, the vine of, of Sibma. Uh, the lords of the heathen uh, have broken down the principal plants thereof. That's very interesting. Uh, someone's going to come and, and break down their vineyards. Uh, who's going to do that? Well, we know the Assyrians in, in history did accomplish the defeat uh, of these people. They're, they're called uh, the lords of, of the heathen. Uh, they weren't uh, godly people. They weren't Jewish people. They, they weren't people who had a faith in the Lord. They're, they're heathens in, in that sense. Uh, and so uh, Isaiah is prophesying that their capital city will be conquered, verse 7. Uh, their fields uh, of Heshbon, they'll be conquered. Uh, even the vines, the vineyards of, of Sibma uh, will be overrun, overtaken by the lords of the heathen, broken down uh, the Assyrians. Uh, the principal plants thereof, they are come uh, even unto Jazer. This would be on the border of Moab. So uh, the idea is that these enemies come in and uh, carry out the Lord's judgment against Moab, really from one end of Moab to the other. Uh, and so the people are wandering through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. Moab, remember, Moab is uh, right up, it's, it's right to the east of the Dead Sea. Uh, and so the picture there is probably that as some are fleeing from the Syrians, uh, they try to flee by boat across the Dead Sea into Judah, probably be the idea here. Uh, verses 9, 10, and 11, just uh, more description of the destruction, the defeat of these people. Uh, don't, don't be sorry for them. Um, they're, they're people who have chosen uh, to rebel against God and, and, and God's people, and, and they're suffering the consequences of that. Uh, this is a choice of these people. Uh, there's a sense in which uh, Isaiah is, is sorry about that, Brother Ray. He says, therefore, I will bewail with weeping of Jazer, the vine of, of Sibma. Uh, is he bewailing the fact that their vineyards have been overtaken, overrun? Some, some have suggested that this is uh, sarcastic. Uh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry that your vineyards that enabled your drunkenness were overrun, kind of sarcastic like that. It might be the case. Uh, in, in any event, he is alluding to the, uh, the severity of the destruction that they will experience as a result of their sinful rejection of the Lord. Uh, I will water thee with my tears, O Heshbon, a place in uh, um, Moab, there we go, uh, and Eleah, another place, for the shouting of thy summer fruits and uh, thy harvest has fallen. They have been uh, dealt with. Jeremiah 48 mentions a uh, vine of Sibma also, and uh, Jeremiah adds to that very similar language in his prophecy against them. Uh, verse 10 continues this prophecy and seems to kind of focus even more uh, on their winemaking and the fact that that would be stopped as part of God's judgment when they are overrun by the Assyrians. Verse 10, and gladness is taken away and joy out of the plentiful field and uh, in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be no, sh let me try again, neither shall there be shouting, the treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses, I have made their vintage shouting to cease. Wherefore, verse 11, my bowels shall sound like a harp for Moab. Remember, bowels uh, in um, history 
uh, references to bowels were used the way we would refer to our hearts, right, Brother Ray? As Valentine's Day approaches, we think of the heart. Uh, in, at this point in history, the bowels were considered sort of the seat of emotion. Uh, my bowels shall sound like a harp for Moab and mine inward parts uh, for Kir uh, Haresh. Uh, it, it, it is a, an awful thing that would happen to them, but it's a consequence of their sin uh, and their choice to reject the Lord. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time, but I, I do want to quickly see uh, just the next couple of verses, and maybe we get through the end here quickly. Um, Isaiah prophesies that when Moab is overrun uh, as part of God's judgment of them, I mentioned this before uh, in the introduction, uh, they don't flee to the Lord like they should. They flee to their idols, their false gods. Remember, everybody's religious, right? Everybody's religious. Everybody, everybody has a natural inclination to worship. It's just a question of, uh, of, of who do you worship. You worship yourself, you can worship an idol, or you can worship the Lord. Everybody's going to do one of those three things. Well, the people of Moab, they're prideful. There's a sense in which they're worshiping themselves, but they're they are pridefully worshiping idols instead of the Lord also, and they, they, they pridefully flee to their idols. Verse 12, it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he shall come to his sanctuary to pray, uh, but he shall not prevail. Zach, you remember high places where were places of false worship, right? Uh, the Lord commanded the people in Numbers 33, when you come into the land, you got to deal with the high places. You got to knock down, you got to destroy the high places, drive out the inhabitants, destroy all their pictures, destroy all their molten images, pluck down their high places. These high places uh, were places of idolatry. Uh, why, why were they in, in high, why was that conducted in high, that's what they did, that was their, that was their tradition, probably a place that, where they felt closer to their, uh, their idols. Um, Moab, verse 12, is, is pictured going to their false god, this would be Chemosh, Chemosh, uh, was the god they worshipped. Um, they would go seek uh, their, their false uh, idolatrous god, uh, and they would pray to him, but, he, but verse 12, he shall not prevail. Uh, very futile effort here on the part of the people of Moab. You flee to, to uh, a false god, Brother Ray, but you find nothing in that. Uh, you can flee to the Lord and find everything in him. You can flee to an idol or flee to yourself and, and find nothing. You can flee to the Lord and find everything that you need from the one who is our shepherd. Uh, we studied that idea on, on Sunday night. Uh, these people uh, make a very futile attempt to flee from the Lord to their false god, Chemosh, and nothing is accomplished from that. Uh, Isaiah asserts in verse 13, hey, uh, your God will accomplish nothing, but my God will accomplish everything. All these words have come from him. Verse 13, this is the word that the Lord hath spoken concerning Moab uh, since that time. And there's some uh, allusions to the, the timing of, of this, verse 14, and we're done. Uh, but now the Lord has spoken, this is God's words, not Isaiah's words, saying within three years, as the years of an hireling and the, and the glory of Moab shall be contemned, uh, with all that great multitude and the remnant shall be very small uh, and fee, uh, feeble, uh, weak, weak. They, 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 their numbers would be reduced, and any who were left alive would be uh, weakened as God dealt with them. And that would begin 
three years out from Isaiah's prophecy. Um, it's been noted that the final defeat of Moab didn't occur for some time, 582 BC or so, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar subdued Moab once and for all. Uh, but Assyria began to deal with them within that three-year period and, and to, um, to subject them to um, obedience to Assyria um, almost immediately. Almost immediately. Brother Ray, within that three years, the Assyrians began to subject the Moabites uh, and until they were eventually conquered once and for all. And so... I'll say quickly in conclusion, what God says he's going to do, he does. Amen? If he says he's going to do something, he does that. Uh, if he makes a promise to us, you can count on it. Think about God's promises. Whatever he promises, you can count on. Gary, is the rapture going to happen? Uh, is, is, the, is the millennium going to happen? It most certainly is. Is, is the return of Christ where he'll put down his enemies once and for all, like, like he's, he's done here uh, temporarily? Is he going to accomplish that uh, finally, the, the defeat of his enemies once and for all uh, at, at, the, at the end of the uh, tribulation? Yes, he is. Uh, and then the millennium and all the promises of the millennium. We are a people with great and certain hopes and all of this history here should, again, encourage us that what God says he's going to do, he does it, he has done it, or he will do it. And we have much, much to look forward to. We better stop. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for uh, your words. Thank you for the prophecy uh, that we find here regarding Moab in uh, chapters 15 and 16. Uh, I pray again this morning as we close, Lord, that the, the fact that we know that you accomplished these prophecies, that we be encouraged by that. Lord, as we look ahead to those things that um, will be fulfilled in the future, help us to be encouraged, grow our faith, encourage our faith, that just as you have accomplished the fulfillment of past prophecies, you'll accomplish the fulfillment of those things that are still future. Uh, and Lord, I understand this morning that we have a, a great and certain hope, so much to look forward to. Uh, I pray, Lord, these passages in Isaiah encourage our faith and encourage our hope. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I appreciate it. See you back here shortly.